thank you very much for joining us on this Wednesday morning in Sydney, Australia. And it is, in fact, uh, a bit later, um, I imagine, over in the States. It's the day before. And we are with a great friend of mine um, that I've just got to know this year and um, learned much about her. Sonia Corbett is her name. She's a convert to the Catholic faith, filled with the Holy Spirit and on fire for the Lord. Um, the author of this book, or co-author, Ignite Bible Study, and that's with uh, Deacon Harold Berksivers, another good friend of ours, and that comes in the book, and there's, there's a whole CD pack, as well as USB these days. We'll talk a bit about, about that later, but please join me in welcoming the founder of Bible Evangelista, Sonia Corbett. Hello, Sonia. How are you doing? Hi there. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's great to see you again. Uh, we've just finished the Rosary Pilgrimage with over 40,000 pilgrims around the world. And uh, you were the very first live rosary of the whole of the <laughs> whole pilgrimage. And uh, what a privilege it was. And actually, that was one of the more popular um, live interviews we had. And uh, I thought, we've got to get you back on and do a proper extension and, and get to know you a bit more. That was an amazing pilgrimage. It was a thrill to be part of it and to see everyone who was connected from all over the world. Yeah, fabulous. You did a great job with that too. Thank you. Uh, I certainly feel like that was uh, definitely Our Lady. <laughs> um, and it's, it's funny, right? we always say, you know, we're inspired by the Holy Spirit, but we, we always forget there's a spouse of the Holy Spirit and she's always, always there. And um, She so is. Uh, she wanted this. I was amazed by the unity it brought from so many people around the world. And, I was too. Wow. Well, thank you. You're, you're, um, you, sh- you touched a little bit in, in your meditation on your conversion. Um, and I'd love to know more about uh, who you are, introduce you to our, our viewers about who you are, a bit of your upbringing, your faith journey, um, I guess, when Christ became real in your life and then your faith into the Catholic Church. And let's unpack a bit of that and then go into the work that you do now. But are you ready to go? I'm ready. Oh, fantastic. Now, um, let's start from the beginning. Where, where, whereabouts were you raised and, um, and were you always practicing your faith? So my dad was in the military and that meant we moved around a lot, but we had sort of a home base. Um, I don't know if I'm sure everyone can tell already that I'm from the South <laughs> in the United States. <laughs> so um, in the in the southern part of the country, Um, We lived in North Carolina mostly, and so we would leave there and go to another state and come home and and back and forth quite a bit. So I grew up mostly in North Carolina, and my parents went to church regularly, um, but, you know, I'd say probably three, two to three Sundays out of each of the month, uh, each week of the month. Um, But I'd I can't say that they were all that faithful. I, I do know that my mother, my mother always kept me in Bible, Bible story books from the time I can remember. I mean, as young as, as early as my memories are, I remember having Bible story books and that helped me a lot as I got older because I, I have what I call a father wound. And at that time, when I was a child, I was in trouble a lot. I stayed on restriction in my room. <laughs> and so really, all I had to do was read. My dad would take everything out of the bedroom except for my, my clothes and my bed. And so all I had to do was read. And so my books really were my comfort. That's all I had to do except for schoolwork. And so um, I did have, I had those Bible story books and, and I I was always afraid of God. I was afraid of God because I was afraid of my dad. And of course, I didn't know. I didn't know that then at all. I just knew I better be good (laughs) because if I didn't, I was going to get in trouble. And so my mother, she also, um, she kept me in a church camp at that time as a child. And, And I went to that church camp and she had worked there as a staff member for years at that same camp. So she knew those, those people. And I, all I wanted to do was work at that place. You know, I, I went every year and I remember that first year that I went, I had been at a, we call it a revival. I'm I'm a Southern Baptist convert. So I grew up Southern Baptist and um, Baptist denominationalism. And it's very fundamentalist. It's very Bible-based. And so that's really the only exposure I had. And 
I remember being at an outdoor arbor in something we called a revival, which we would call now as Catholics a mission. But it was a a week long uh, evening service every every night of the week. And I remember we were singing the benediction song and the chorus was come center, come home. And I was nine and my heart started pounding out of my chest. And I just I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm a sinner, you know, and for a, a child who felt bad, you know, just inherently something was wrong with me that that was a I didn't know what it was. I just knew that I was I knew I was a sinner. I knew that Jesus wanted to save me, but I didn't know what to do about it, you know. And the week after that, I was at camp and the the minister who was preaching that night to us kids, he said you might be sitting there and your heart might be pounding out of out of your chest and you don't know what to do and I was like, that was me, <laughs> you know. And he said you need to come forward and ask Jesus into your heart. And so I just ran down the aisle and I cried so hard. I mean, there was snot everywhere and I was just, my face was all swelled up. And so I was going to go downstairs to the bathroom to get cleaned up. And this was in, it was in the middle of the mountains. I mean, nothing, no TV, no radio, no anything. It was a, a really remote kind of place. And it was in the basement. The bathroom was in the basement. So I pulled the door shut behind me and was going to walk down the stairs to the bathroom. And when I pulled the door shut, I just saw, I saw Jesus to my side, which was, I don't know why I didn't think that was odd, but at the time I I didn't think it was odd. I just saw him there in this very narrow stairwell. I saw him with me, just his face. And, and I just knew that he was with me and that he had cleaned me and that I was, I was saved. I was, um, he had forgiven me. And that feeling of forgiveness was the biggest relief of my entire life to that point. And then, of course, I went through the whole adolescence where, you know, high school, I wasn't sure if I wanted to be good or if I didn't. And so I had one foot in and one foot out. But I eventually knew um, I just knew it was the right thing. And so I did most of what I did in following God out of duty and out of fear, you know, not wanting to be punished or go to hell. (laughs) But when I got married, my husband and I, we went to church and I started to teach a Bible study with a friend and she was actually my mentor. And she looked at me a couple of weeks in and she said, you know, Sonia, I really think you're supposed to teach this. And I said, well, it's kind of odd. I don't know why, but I feel like I am too. And so she gave it to me and that was the beginning. And I just could not get enough of the scriptures and, and what I learned, I couldn't wait. I mean, I would spend almost 40 hours a week in studying the scriptures and just get so excited about everything I was learning. And then having a place to just sort of like regurgitate it on everybody and they loved it and I loved it. And I just took off. That was really the beginning. And, and as I learned more about God through the scriptures and his purposes and his ways and the way he deals with us, he began to heal that father wound and he started to confront it really immediately. And of course I didn't know that's what it was, but that's what it was. So much, um, so much there. So you, um, nine years old, you have this sort of encounter, if you like, you, 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 you really um, discover um, your faith, you discover Christ and you, and you, uh, your life is changed as, as much as it can be for a nine-year-old. And then, right. and then as you grew up, it went to that next level, which is really what that we always have this conversion, but now as, as a married woman and now doing these Bible studies, the opening up of the scriptures just took catapulted you to another level. Totally. Um, That's the great word. It was a catapult. <laughs> wow. I, I really want to get uh, to dive in a few examples of, of Bible studies, but before we go there, if you don't mind, um, you've mentioned it twice now, and I, um, many people may 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 connect with it. May, maybe they don't really understand, but the father wound. Um, this is uh, it's important because many people right now there are so many broken families out there. There are so many people, um, so much abuse out there, or the, there's all sorts of things, and people even learning that God is our father can be a sore point for people. Um, so that was we, very, very difficult for me. Would you mind if we unpack a little bit of that? Uh, sure. What, what no, not at all. In, in fact, when in my early twenties and I'm not even sure I had begun. And in fact, I know I had not begun to teach a class yet. My aunt told me that when she prayed, she imagined crawling up in God's lap 
And I was absolutely horrified by that. I thought that is the weirdest thing I've ever heard. I don't want to be anywhere near God's lap because I was afraid of that. I mean, I I thought, and my dad was, he, he was, um, he was more mentally abusive than physically. We were at times what we would call now physically abused. And and a couple of times I would say, yeah, we were, (laughs) but, um, but mostly it was, it was sort of, it was all mental and emotional. And he, he is a bona fide narcissist. And I didn't know, I didn't understand what that was. I, all I knew is everything was always my fault. No matter what happened, it was my mm-hmm. fault. And I was bad and I was always in trouble because I, I was trying to earn his love and I, and I couldn't get it, you know? And so it, it really did instill a wound in me that carried forward in my relationship with God. And so I didn't, I didn't, have any idea what that would even look like. I mean, I just thought that was the strangest thing I had ever heard, but there was also something in me that longed for that. I, if it were possible, I'm sorry. That's okay. For God to be proud of me. That's what I wanted. I just, that's, that's all I've ever wanted. I still, you know, that's really, um, I, and I know he loves me because he has, he has healed me of that wound so deeply. And so I know that, but ultimately that's what I want to hear. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You know, I want to give him everything because he's given me everything. So I'm sorry. I didn't mean to <laughs> almost lose it there. Father wound, because what I realized in my twenties was that wound, what I thought was a problem with anger was really pain. And I didn't know that until I started doing Bible study and God began to really confront me with my rage. I had a rage problem. I have holes in my walls. I have burned tires. I have, I have broken dishes. I've broken remote controls. I have run people off the road in my car. I have gotten in fist fights. I attacked my husband once. (laughs) I mean, I just, I did not know. My thought was if everybody would just do what I wanted, everything would be fine. You know, I didn't realize that this anger had a root and Mm -hmm. that root was that father wound, but God knew. And so he began very quickly, almost immediately, I would say. In fact, I would say immediately, because as soon as I started a daily quiet time in the scriptures, I was reading the Proverbs and I know what day it was when he spoke to me. Um, My mentor told me, she said, you need to read read something every day. And I just, you know, I'm not a morning person. So I, I thought, I, I don't, you know, what am I going to do? So I got up and I would read a proverb and a couple of Psalms every day. And it was the 26th the day because Proverbs 26, 11 says, um, as a dog returns to his vomit, a fool repeats his folly. And I remember that jumping off the page at me and just sticking in my heart and I felt the Lord say to me, are you not tired of this vomit? And I thought, you're right, Lord. That's exactly what this is. Because I, I was, I had a habit of explosive anger in certain situations, which at the time I didn't know what those were, but I learned. And that was the the scripture that God began to really challenge me on that anger issue. And, and I just told him, I can't even help it. I don't know where it comes from. How am I supposed to stop? You know? And, and then he led me to Psalm 4, 4, where, um, what I call a stop tool. Cause he gave me what I call a stop tool. It says, sin not, um, and, and meditate on your bed in silence, offer the right sacrifice and put your trust in God. So S is sin, not T is tell God. O is offer the right sacrifice and P is put your trust in God. And so I said, well, you're going to have to help me do this then before I get angry and not after. (laughs) And so he helped me with that tool. I thought, okay, so I am responsible for my anger. And if I am responsible, then he can help me with it. And so that began a really, it was a long process of, of, of probing that woundedness and finding the root of it and exposing the real pain under there. And then having that healed, but it was, it really was God revealing himself as my heavenly father in a way that I could never have imagined. And it was, it, it truly is. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift when God touches you in those deeply wounded places where all of your ugly sin patterns come from, you know, that that's the thing. We all have those wounds and that's where our worst sin patterns come from. 
Yeah, wow. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing. Um, I think it's a great, great example of the power of the scriptures of the word of God, what it can do to us and how real it is and how how we're all invited to do that, um, to, to break open the scriptures and, and dive in. Um, um, it just before we move on, can I ask a uh, dad where, where is he now? Or, or, uh, so dad is dad. He's still alive. My mom and dad got divorced when I was 13 and it was, a, it was like a bomb went off on our family, but it, it was, I don't know what would have happened to me if they hadn't have gotten divorced. So it, it was a bittersweet kind of thing, okay. um, but he's still alive and we have a superficial relationship. There's, it's not kind of, it's not really safe. I've had to put a lot of boundaries in place and learn how to do that. So we have a relationship. It's not very deep. He's not really capable of that and he's not safe emotionally. Mm -hmm. So, um, I've had to, I've had to really, um, watch his relationship with my children and, um, and that's okay. I've learned to love him from a distance and I I pray for him daily. And so he's, he's wounded. I mean, if you knew anything about his background, it makes perfect sense. So, um, that was actually one of the challenges that God led me through is forgiveness. And I just thought, in fact, I was so offended by that. I thought, how can you ask me how can you ask me to ask him for forgiveness for the one thing that I've done in my relationship with him? Because I had, I I tell this in my book unleashed, but, um, he, my husband and I had, had decided when we were going to get married and sent out our invitations. And my dad demanded that we move the date and I didn't want to do it because we were living together, (laughs) you know, and I was trying to remedy the situation. So I was trying to get it over with as quickly as possible. And so I wouldn't move it you know, and and part of it was stubbornness, but the other part was legitimately, you know, I was trying to do the right thing and he got, it got heated. You know, he, he summoned me for a meeting, you know, he wanted to talk to me, but you know, that doesn't really happen. What happens is he talks and you obey. (laughs) And I had just had enough of that and it got loud and it was confrontational and I flipped him a bird and walked out. And then God asked me to ask him to forgive me. And I just thought, I can't believe you would ask me to do that. After all, after all I've been through, how could you do that? And yet he kept asking me and he kept prompting me. And he would ask me almost every morning in prayer, did you call your dad? And I'm like, Lord, you know, I haven't. Why are you even asking me? You know, but, but eventually I did it because I wanted to please God. And, and when I did, it was a, it was the breakthrough healing it was the breakthrough. When I called him, it went exactly the way I knew it would. Um, it was all my fault. He couldn't believe that he had a daughter that would do that to him, blah, blah, blah. And I just, it, it almost felt like an out of body experience because I told him, I, I said, well, dad, you know, I only called cause Jesus asked me to, and I'm sorry. And I hope you'll forgive me. And I hung up and it was like, it was like the fishing line. You know, when you get something on the end of the line and it, and you're pulling And then, and you lose it and it's just limp. It was like something popped in me and, and all of that influence that he had had over me was completely gone. It was a total miracle. I could not believe it. And from that point on, he's never had that influence over me that he did before. So we have a relationship, but it's very superficial and it just has to be. Thank thank you for sharing that. And, but, but thank you for um, unveiling a powerful message in our Christian faith is, uh, is this idea of forgiveness, even those who have done wrong to us, or even those who have, uh, what would it pray for our enemies? As Jesus, it's so radical the Christian message that it goes against natural uh, nature, right? I mean, we we feel like, oh, this doesn't feel right. You know, I'm the one that's been hard done by. But so many, th- this is such a powerful message. The gospel can penetrate and convert us, and it's a reminder. Um, there is only one enemy. It's not the individuals. It's actual Satan, <laughs> and Satan that can get so in true. behind everyone. Um, and we're talking a whole lot about social justice and the Bible itself says in first John one, nine, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the highest form, the highest, the highest act of justice is forgiveness. He forgives us and we have to forgive. We have to forgive, the Bible says, in order to be forgiven. And that is very, very difficult. And we have to do it more than once. That's why Jesus said 70 times seven. You know, I can't tell you how many times I had to go back when he would hurt me again. I would have to go back to to the Lord and say, do I have to let him do this to me forever? 
you know, and, and that's where he was teaching me about boundaries, but he would say, yes, you have to forgive him. And I'm like, really? <laughs> I mean, so yeah. yeah, it's, it's a process. It, it sometimes takes a lifetime, yeah. but here's yeah. the thing. If we don't do it now, we do it in pur- purgatory where we don't have the sacraments and one another to lean on and our community and our church. So we need to do it now. Amen. Amen. That's a powerful message. Thank you. Uh, um, now you are leading these Bible studies. You are, you're, you're teaching now at this point, you're still in the Baptist community um, as a, a newly married uh, woman. Um, how many years sort of um, were you going on doing, doing these Bible studies and, when did it sort of begin? When did the seed get planted for your your sort of journey into the Catholic Church? In about 10 years. Um, okay. I but What happened in that time was fascinating to me looking back on it, because in Protestantism, especially here, when someone gets upset with a pastor, they get a group together and they split the church and they go and start a new church. And the first time that occurred in our in our little church, it was a community of about 100 families. It was pretty small. It was very it, it was a, a tight knit community and it was home. It was a, a real home for us. And the first time that happened, I was really young and I didn't know I didn't know anything about what was happening. I didn't know what the issues were and I didn't really care, to be perfectly honest. I didn't know the pastor that well. The only thing I knew at that time was that the Lord kept telling me out of the scriptures to keep my mouth shut. And not to gossip. And I said, yes, sir. Okay. And so I just sort of, it happened and it, and it wasn't that big a deal, but fast forward five years and we had a new pastor and this particular pastor had given me his co-ed Sunday school class and I had grown it and it had caused a little bit of an issue in the church because females didn't do that then, you know, take a co-ed class and he, the same people this wasn't why there were other issues. He, he was a very strong personality anyway, uh, but a teddy bear, you know, but I was loyal to him because he affirmed my gifts and he believed in me in that way. And so he was a, a, like a father figure to me in a, in a great, really uh, healing way too. And so when the same people did the same thing to a second pastor, it devastated us, my husband and I, it just, because we saw the pattern and, and I just thought, how can how can a small group of people do this to a family and and that's their livelihood how can they destroy their livelihood and and a whole church and how is this okay and so i began to look at the reformation and i wanted to know if that was legitimate because i know what the bible says about division and god hates it it's the sin of satan it's what split heaven and so I thought, and, and he had corrected me. How many times had he corrected me over and over and over about my own anger and rebellion against authority? So I knew better. I knew that what they had done was sinful and I could see the pattern in that church. I saw the pattern in my own life. I had the, the same exact problem. So I went and, and began to read Martin Luther in his own words. And I started looking at his his life and his biography. And as I read Luther in his own words, and I, and I learned a little bit about his upbringing, what I found shocked me to the core. Martin Luther had a father wound and it caused him to do exactly the same thing in the church that I had done in my life with every in authority over me, including my poor husband. <laughs> and I saw it in Martin Luther and I thought, wow, so I saw it in my own life. I had those those um, individual and personal examples in my own life for how that was wrong and why I had been corrected by the scriptures through the Holy Spirit. Now I saw it on a church level in our in our home church twice. And then I saw it on a universal level in the Catholic Church. And I call those pop quizzes where God gives you example after example about something that you're learning. And so I immediately knew that it couldn't be legitimate. It was, it was now he had legitimate issues. I don't want to say that he, he definitely did, but he went about it the wrong way. And I knew that and I understood it because I had been corrected for the same things. And so that's when my whole 
religious world just kind of it just the rug was jerked right out from under me. I, I mean, there was no way I, I could be Catholic. <laughs> there was just no way. I thought, Lord, surely you're not asking me to be Catholic. And so I had to go back then and start to research the teachings of the church to find out if I could tolerate them. And that whole process took about three years. The reading on Martin Luther and then coming into full communion took about three years. Wow. Okay. Can we uh, maybe just a few examples just to help people theologically what's going on here? Um, so what are the sort of examples we're talking about that that raise your questions? How did you discover this, the, the father wound of Martin Luther? Um and what was what was some of the I guess um, alarm bells in the theology side of things? Well, Martin Luther's theology, I had already questioned that as a Baptist, and I could see where it came from. It came from it came from his own rebellion. Yeah. Well, I don't want to call it rebellion yet because in the beginning it wasn't rebellion. He was in pain, and when he was corrected, he. When you're corrected, when you have a father wound and you're corrected by men in authority, all you want to do is punch them out. <laughs> I mean, that's just the honest truth. Mm-hmm. All you want to do is tell them where to go and you'll do it your way. Thank you very much. And that's exactly what Martin Luther did. He didn't want to be corrected. He didn't want to be wrong. And he wasn't going to be wrong. So I had also already seen the fruits of his theology through the church splits. So it was fine because the Bible is your only authority to split a church because they could cite any number of verses for their side. And it's the Bible. And that was actually one of my that that was that's something that I often ask non-Catholics now is the Holy Spirit schizophrenic. Would he tell you one thing and tell me another? I don't think so. And so that denominationalism, that whole thing crumbles that under the authority issue. So that was the first and foremost, that was the domino that started everything for me was the authority issue. When I realized that Martin Luther had come out from under the safety of the authorities of the church and, and whether they were wrong or right, and they were clearly wrong in a lot of areas, but theologically they were right. And Martin Luther was wrong and he, he dug his heels in and wouldn't budge. So that was the first domino The one directly after that, as soon as I began to really start looking at the teachings of the church, was the Eucharist. And as soon as I read what the church taught about John 6 and what Jesus says there about eating my flesh and drinking my blood, I realized that cannot mean anything else. (laughs) It has to mean what the Catholic Church says. And I knew that based on the Old Testament tabernacle which I knew very intimately. And what I realized is that Old Testament tabernacle, all of that structure that God put together to teach his people how to worship, the Catholic church maintains all of those elements exactly the way God said. He said it has to be perpetual. And there was a table of presence bread in that tabernacle. It was presence bread. (laughs) And that was the foreshadowing of the Eucharist. And when I saw those things combined with other things and John six, I just knew and, and then I suddenly thought, well, if we got this wrong, mm-hmm. and this is so fundamental to salvation, what else have we gotten wrong? And so I began to trust what the church taught, even though it was so very, very different from most things that I had learned. I was willing to trust it because I could see it was biblical. Absolutely. Now, can I, was it a book you read? Was it someone that introduced you to it? I mean, you would have read that John 6 uh, for 10 years, right? You would have read that. And, and how did you read it as a, as a Protestant? And then what triggered the, um, the, the, I guess the unveiling or the, uh, the scales coming off your eyes and saying, Oh, hang on, this is actually literal. Uh, was it a, I, yeah. I had a favorite bookstore. It was a used bookstore and I was in that bookstore and I just happened to see a catechism and I thought, <laughs> Hmm, that's interesting. And so I picked it up and I started reading the first page and I was absolutely blown away. I felt like I had walked off a cliff into an an ocean of God. And and that's what I had been really looking for, because Protestantism likes to sew God up in these nice little packages and they're very superficial. Not always, but a lot of it is. It's very superficial. And I was really I was teaching things 
that I knew the Holy Spirit had revealed to me that I had never seen anywhere else. But I saw it in the catechism <laughs> and I was like, wow. Yes. And so as I picked it up, I started I started reading and that's where I read about John six and, and the Eucharist. I thought, what is the Eucharist? I had never even heard that word. And as I'm reading about it and I went to look in my own Bible and I thought, that's not what that says. And when I looked, it did say that, you know, and then I'm, I'm connecting the dots to the Old Testament, that present spread in the tabernacle. And I thought I started to I started to put it all together. And and it was it the thing that was so beautiful to me about it is the consistency of God. That's really what I was looking for, because Protestantism is so disconnected from the the roots of the church, the ancient. I, I kept I was looking around thinking, where are the saints, you know, between Paul and you know, we don't have saints. And in the church, of course, you know, the church maintains the history. We didn't have a whole lot of that history. I knew some history, but it was very slanted. So I had to really go back. And I mean, Martin Luther just blew it all out of the water for me. I I realized then that we had bought into something that was foundationally wrong. And so the Eucharist really was my, that was the first thing. And when I put all that together, I don't even remember when that happened. I just know that when I read it and I read the scriptures and I connected it with the Old Testament tabernacle and all of the other ways that Jesus talks about himself as bread. Yes. I mean, there are so many. And (laughs) and when I put all those together, it just can't mean anything else. Fun fact, uh, right behind me, you can see the logo, Perusia. Um, Greek word, Eucharist, Eucharistia, Greek word, um, that word, many people, in it's in fact in the Oxford Dictionary, it means um, it points to the second coming of Christ, parousia, yes. or parousia. But uh, when you mentioned presence bread, that's very interesting because the literal translation of that word, parousia, is presence. And you said presence bread is a foreshadowing of what to come. And that's exactly where we are, the presence of Christ, which we say in the real presence, the Eucharist. And it's also we're waiting for the second coming. We're Amen. in the time of the Perusia. And that's I didn't know all that when we came up with this name. It was like our Lord had a lot more going on here. And yes. Wow. I mean, praise God. The more we Well, that that our father prayer too, when he says, Give us this day our daily bread. I yes. always thought that was weird. He was redundant, you know, and yet <laughs> those are two words. Those are two different words. So it's that same uh super substance, hyper substance. He's talking about something super spiritual. It's yes. not just bread. So all of those things kind of put together. Yeah, I, I thought. And what's odd is I had been praying. I, I kept asking God, is there not a way we can be closer? I, I think I mentioned this in my my uh, video for yes. the uh, pilgrimage. I just wanted to be closer to him. And I was thinking physically, I mean, not in a weird way, but just, you know, and I just I didn't think it was possible. And yet, in the Eucharist, it is completely possible and not only possible, he was inviting me to that. I mean, it's a it's a it's a beautiful condescension for him to have brought me to the Catholic Church in that way. When my longings were so deep and so ethereal, you know, I had no point of reference for them. I didn't know that they would all land in the Catholic Church. <laughs> Praise God. Can we um, what was the now entering into the church? Tell us about that process. Uh so you um, you you entered into RCIA and, and and becoming a Catholic. What was that like? That was brutal. That was the darkest, <laughs> oh, most brutal, most beautiful time, really, of my entire life. To this day, it, it was it was brutal. I had I was just about to publish my first Bible study mm. through the um, denominational publisher in our area. And I was so excited about it because it was a promise that God had given me back in my early twenties. And I just thought, I thought, is it over? Does that mean, does that mean that I'm not going to be able to do this? You know, and that, that hurt me so deeply because I wanted it so badly and I knew that God had promised it to me. So I felt a lot like Abraham you know, sacrificing Isaac on the altar. And, and when I came into that, the church, that's really how I saw it. I was sacrificing that promise for what I knew was right. Um, but that whole period, I said three years, the three years was actually from the second church split until I was in the church. It actually only took about one year of reading my way in. 
and I read everything, the catechism, the encyclicals, you name it. I, I read it. I devoured it. And I didn't tell a soul. I didn't tell anybody because I had just begun really um, speaking publicly and writing and I was about to be published and I didn't want to jeopardize that in case I was wrong. But there came a point where, as James says, when you know what to do, when you know the right thing and you don't do it, it's sin. And so I thought, okay, so Lord, do you want me to be Catholic or not? I mean, I just asked him plain out. I wanted a yes or no answer and he wouldn't answer me. (laughs) You know, I was like, I got to know, Lord, I need to know if this is the right thing. But eventually it just got to be where there was so much truth, I couldn't turn my back on it. And that took about a year when I finally decided I was going to come in. The very first priest I ever met was the, the priest that I told, I think I'm supposed to be Catholic here at our local parish. Never seen a real live priest in my whole life ever. Wow. And I even remembered watching Sound of Music every single year. And when I came into the church, I looked back and I went, oh, they were Catholic. <laughs> I mean, I just so disconnected. <laughs> Yeah, it was funny. So that I he actually immediately instead of putting me in a class of RCIA, he actually put me one on one with my who became the person who became my godfather because I was pretty militant still. I was I wanted to argue. I wanted I wanted somebody to be able to argue the truth. Mm-hmm. And I think he knew that the class was not going to be able to deal with me. <laughs> so he put me one-on-one with um, who the man who became my godfather and, and brought me into the church, but he let me be very militant and he challenged me and he knew enough that he could really, um, he could give me the answers I was looking for. Right. And so um, I wanted, I came in at Easter vigil. I was pregnant at the time. And I was the only one I came in myself. And when I went to the, to mass the first time, my husband was on the lawnmower and I hadn't told him, I hadn't told anybody. And I was dressed up and it was a Saturday afternoon. I was going to go to the Easter vigil because I, I was, I continued to go to church on Sundays with my family to try to keep some unity in our family for as, yes. you know, as long as possible. And, and I, he saw me and he said, or he didn't actually even ask me. He just looked at me and I knew it was a question. And I said, I'm going to go to mass. And he said, what are you going to be a little Catholic girl now? And it just flew out of my mouth. I didn't, I don't even know where it came from. I looked at him dead in the eye and I said, what are you persecuting me? And it was, it was almost like he took a step back, you know, and, and I did too. And I thought, Oh boy, I'm out now. You know, so I went to mass and I continued to go to mass on Saturday nights and go to church on Sundays with my family. And then I came in at Easter vigil and that was, that was the main break. And my husband, he, he came to the Easter vigil and my son did too. And he sat there with the, the most pained look on his face I've ever seen. Um, But he never told me I couldn't. And the Lord knew the Lord saved me and protected me from that because he knew that if my husband told me no, I don't know what I would have done to be perfectly honest, because I I believe in authority so deeply and he is the authority over our family. And if he had told me, you cannot do this, I don't know what I would have done. I mean, I guess I would have done it anyway uh, because it it is the right thing to do, but it really would have put me in such a difficult position. And so I think the Holy Spirit really just he protected me from that. So my husband never told me I couldn't. And, and I did, and it took five years and I taught RCIA. I I was the uh, religious education director. My, this was why my priest actually put me privately in RCIA. He intended to make me the religious education director that next year, which now looking back on that was a little bit crazy, but, um, but he did. And I taught RCIA Every year after that, and I still do. In fact, I have a class tonight. I'll be teaching oh, RCIA okay. tonight. But I, I taught that class for about five years. And I finally asked my husband, I, I wrote a curriculum for it. I wrote a book called Fulfilled, and it's the Old Testament tabernacle roots of Catholicism. And I asked him, I said, would you, would you video those, you know, for me? And he knew what I was asking. And I knew he knew. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I guess. And he came. And he came in the year after that. Praise God. Okay. So your husband's yeah. in. So the whole family, everybody's Catholic now. Wow. Wow. What a journey. Um, 
Now, now, since becoming Catholic and teaching RCIA, you've you've mentioned one book, but you actually have a number of books, and the work that you're doing now is, I mean, you're on fire with everything that you're doing. Uh, can we touch on what you're doing now as a Catholic and Bible evangelista? How did that get born, and and what what do you do as as multiple ministries are involved in? Well, when I was the religious education director, what I noticed right away is that the church really needed what I do, and I was surprised by that. And so I knew that adults would appreciate what I bring. I do something a little different than than most people are used to in Bible study. Most Bible studies in the church are book studies. They'll take a whole book of the Bible, like Romans Mm -hmm. or Thessalonians, and they'll break it down. That's called exposition. And that takes an enormous amount of time. I love doing that, but it's done a lot. So what I do is I take a different approach. I take a topical approach. And I just, I explore a topic like anger. I did an entire series on angry men in the Bible. (laughs) And um, my first book was called Unleashed. And it's about how the Holy Spirit unleashes us from those patterns, those toxic relationships and self-medicating habits and that kind of thing. And then Fearless came right after that. That was tools for spiritual warfare. How, you know, once you've begun the healing how do you continue in it? And so fearless really looked at spiritual warfare and then ignite, which is a primer on how to study the Bible. It's sort of a map on how to get started. Yeah. And it talks about the genres and, and that kind of thing. And, um, and then fulfilled was the old Testament roots of Catholicism and why everything in the church is biblical and not only biblical, but it's the only church on the face of the earth that maintains all of the elements that God said should be perpetual. And so I, I connect those dots from the old Testament to the book of revelation and then uh, Ezekiel and his prophecies of the messianic kingdom that's in fulfilled. And then I did one, then I got kind of Mary and curious because I came into the Catholic church without a relationship with her. And in fact, I I didn't even want one. I mean, I, I didn't know her, didn't think a whole lot about it. But my bishop, I went to um, a penance service and he told me, he said, the measure of your Catholicism is the measure of your relationship to Mary. And I thought, that's not what I'm here for. You know, <laughs> I was a little bit put off by that, but it stuck. And, you know, I, I went through a whole lot coming into the church, a whole lot. I mean, I I don't even have time to tell you all of it, but I was stalked and I was, I mean, it was just, it was a mess. Everybody hated me. (laughs) Um, But when he said that, I thought I didn't go through all that to be half a Catholic. So I just went to Mary. That's kind of my style. I just went to her and I said, I don't really understand you. I don't get it. I think it's weird. All this attention that you get, but I'm willing to, if you're willing to teach me and that's what she did. And so I did a series on the Magnificat because I wanted to understand her as well as I could. And what she did was she gathered me up into her mantle and she showed me, she connected me with me, first of all, at the, the one place that would have (laughs) really affected me deeply. And that's in the scriptures. What I learned from her is that Mary loves the word as much as I love the word more than I love the word. And she's inviting us, the whole church, she's inviting the church to love the word with her. And so my books on Mary are exalted, which is that one behind me is on the Magnificat. And we did a, I did a series line by line of her song in Luke, the Magnificat that the church prays every day at Vespers. And then I did a book on her, how to pray like Mary, where she showed me her, Uh, what I call love the word, her prayer method, listen, observe, verbalize, and trust love. We listen to the word, we observe it, we verbalize it back to God, and then we entrust it the way she does in the Annunciation. So that's what I'm doing. And and I do do series on topics like that. Um, I do them first for radio and then for my Catholic TV series, kind of like guinea pigs, and then I'll write a book on it. So that's kind of what I do. But it's all Bible study all the time. That's all I do. So... Am I right in my mathematics here? Was there six books there? Did I just count six books? That's six books, and I just finished another one, a seventh, on wow. um, on the desert wanderings of the children of, of Israel, and that'll be out in the fall of next year. You've been so busy. Um, all that, now, is that, if people want to know more, is that on, on your main website there? What's the main website? 
That is on my website, BibleStudyEvangelista.com. That was a made-up word, evangelista. Um, an evangelist is just someone who shares the gospel from their own point of view. And so since I'm not a guy, <laughs> I stuck an A on the end. I'm an evangelista. So BibleStudyEvangelista.com, that has all the audio series. It has the TV series. It has the books. It's got everything there. TV series. Now, what what are we? What network are you on there with the TV series? What's that? That's Catholic TV out of Boston. Okay. Um, you can watch that series. I did 12 Angry Men. COVID has stopped us from filming. We've been trying to figure out a way to film down here um, mm. because we haven't been able to film a new series. But um, that's up in Boston. You can watch that actually online or through their app, uh, Catholic TV. Catholic TV. Okay. Or on my website. It's actually on my website too. Um, I noticed you also have articles. You've got other things that people can just visit your website. You've got social media platforms as well. Um, that's all again on that main website, the Bible Evangelist. Everything's on that website. I'm also, um, I'm on Facebook, Sonia Corbett, uh, Instagram, Bible Study Evangelista. Yeah. Okay. Everything's really, that's my hub. Everything's there at the website, BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Well, let's hope you have a, a flurry of Australians coming in uh, today and, and many others from the Bible, um, from the Rosary Pilgrimage. We hope that many will visit and, and get to know you more. And uh, I'm super Amen. excited about what we could be doing um, together and, um, I'd, I'd like to, we've only got about five minutes here. Um, your, what was your, your relationship with your Protestant friends? Um, can we just touch on that? Uh, have you gone back and, and now as a Catholic, have you had, what was that like? You lost, you, did you lose friendships? Did you, how difficult was that? And what about, uh, has there been any opportunities where you've been able to share your Catholic faith and has it, have you had any friends that have really, uh, engaged in that? I really did lose all of my friends. They, I'm still connected to some people that we went to church with um, through social media, but they don't want to hear anything Catholic. <laughs> and I understand that. I was that person, so I totally understand it. And I don't try to evangelize people. This is something I think we we mess up as as um, Catholics. First of all, we don't always know how to evangelize people through our faith. And so that's what Fulfilled is really meant to do, yes. to give Catholics a very succinct tool for evangelizing non-Catholics using the Bible. Um, but I don't do that unless people ask me questions, because what I've learned is unless the Holy Spirit has opened that door in a person, it's like being on social media and arguing your political position. It's just not going to work. If they're not open to it, there's no point in trying to broach the subject. But if you pray for that person, that God makes them curious, they will ask questions. And then we can we can jump in there and offer why we love our church. Um, but I don't do that a whole lot. I don't I don't do it with them. Um, but I, I am thankful that God has given me the opportunity to sort of do penance in helping Catholics evangelize non-Catholics, because I know how to do that. As a former Baptist, I know how to do that. And, and I used to pick Catholics off from the church. That was people, you know, used to put me in positions where I could do that. Um, and that has grieved me deeply. So I have been very thankful that God has given me the opportunity to teach Catholics how to evangelize non-Catholics using the Bible, because that's really the only way we can do it. We have to be able to use the Bible to show them why our faith is, is not, it's not based on the Bible, but it is biblical and we have to be able to do that to them. So that's really, that's how I do it now. I don't try to uh, chase people down and tell them why their faith is wrong, because I know that wouldn't work. But when I get an opportunity, I surely do. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, okay, well, just a, a, a tip here. Someone who um, has not, who wants to start, uh, we've got viewers now watching. They know they've got this Bible sitting, collecting dust on, on their bookshelf. Um, they try to open it up time to time, but it just doesn't make sense to them. Where do they begin? What do you suggest the starting point for anyone listening right now just to get started? I mean, they've got a Bible. They typically would open page one and then get lost after that. Okay, no, what, don't do that. Do? <laughs> so we talk about that. Deacon Harold and I talk about why you shouldn't do that necessarily in our book Ignite. Yes. So that's that's really where you should start if you want to study the Bible because mm -hmm. that will that will give you some 
um, some stuff you really need to know before you start so that you don't get confused and you don't get lost and you don't get angry as I did. I got angry when I began first began because I didn't understand a lot of a lot of that. So we give it to you in a very easy to digest way in Ignite. But in a prayerful way, the best way is to follow Mary. And that's why I actually wrote that book, How to Pray Like Mary. Listen, observe, verbalize and entrust. Use the readings from the mass every single day. Sit down, listen to the word of God by reading it. Observe your relationships and circumstances the way she did. We see that in the Annunciation. Then you verbalize back to God what you think he's saying to you about those relationships and circumstances as she did through the Magnificat. And then you entrust it back to him. May it be done to me according to your word. We don't know what God wants to do in our lives because we're not listening to him speak. And he speaks to us every single day in the readings of the church. That's the place to begin is in the readings of the church on a daily basis with love the word. Listen, observe, verbalize and trust. It takes 15 minutes. That's brilliant. Brilliant. I, I think that's that's a great take home there. Um, We've got it there before our very eyes. Many of us have probably taken it for granted. The church has prepared already um, daily scriptures that we can actually go and dive into take advantage of that wow and um, we should because wow. that's the holy spirit's voice to the whole church wow. every day it's important to be in that flow of what he wants to us to hear yes that's so good um we got to get you back on to do more of a bible study and i, I just um i'd love to hear more about it about how you teach and your techniques and and i'm, I'm going to certainly be diving into this book a lot more closely and 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 learning more about the, your techniques because i think it's brilliant um Thank you so much for joining us uh, today, Sonia. It's just been, it's been, a, it's been a thrill. It's been, it's been amazing. Well, the thrill has been all mine. I love you, Aussies. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. One day, once the borders open, love to get you down here. Um, yeah, and, and do a do an Australian tour. Um, there are direct Amen. flights now. You go via Dallas. You can come straight through. And uh, I can. Um, we hope we can do that. I'd love to. Um, so uh, that website again, everyone, BibleEvangelista.com. The links are all below. Get to know more about what Sonia's doing. Please pray for her. Do know that uh, she was in the scriptural rosary pilgrimage and uh, it was the mystery number five on the Eucharist, the, um, the Last Supper, and one of the more popular ones. Uh, so if you have not had access to that, if, you, if you're coming on for the first time, you can now purchase the rosary pilgrimage. There's 65 videos. We had a whole month worth of, uh, meditations and live rosaries and, and interviews so please take advantage it's so cheap $19.99 Australian that's about $14 US um, and you can own the whole lot and so if you can do that and, and the proceeds will help go and support many of the ministries and the speakers who have dedicated their time to this and and thanks to their generosity we're able to put it together so please um, check that out go to perusiamedia.com you'll see um, see all the links there and putting in all the links below um, Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Sonia, I want to thank you so much. Praying for you. Please pray for us. And uh, I think we'll be seeing you a lot more often. So God bless you. I promise. Thank you. God bless you too. Thank, thank you all. Bye-bye. God bless everyone.